0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, are we going to just keep doing the same old thing over and over again? Kind of. Uh, I do want to start off with... do. um ba-ba-doo a little thought experiment, I guess. I threw this up on Twitter yesterday. There's been a whole bunch of um, questions or rumors that uh, the Green Bay Packers are potentially on the verge of signing Sammy Watkins. Um, If you're wondering where this came from, at least my understanding is um, over on Reddit, there's somebody who had predicted the Devontae Adams trade, um, which isn't that surprising because people have been throwing that out there nonstop. But That same person who got that right, and I don't know exactly what the details were, when it was, how it all came to be. I I have no idea. I didn't know anything about it. But apparently this person, who is the Packers Reddit Nostradamus, has said that Sammy Watkins will be signing with the Green Bay Packers, assuming he passes his physical. So anyways, I I don't put too much into it, but who knows? Maybe it's a thing. Would it surprise me a ton? Not really, because I've, I've said that they kind of need to do something just so that it's not desperation because I do think we're in desperation territory but um that doesn't mean that anything that is being said is true but my immediate thought is does that change anything and i put that on twitter and immediately with the exception of maybe two people out of i think probably 100 people that responded no absolutely not um it was it was very um very unanimous in that this changes absolutely nothing and and i guess i, I don't know I, I i didn't want to converse too much with everybody because I knew it would devolve rapidly because it's social media. But I I, I kind of wish that there had been some kind of a follow-up because there's two components to that, right? The first component is if we add a short-term, you know, let's just call them middle talented, if that's a phrase, which it is because I made it up, wide receiver um, veteran what would that change, if anything, in your mind, in terms of the overall feeling, strategy, philosophy of the Green Bay Packers draft? And most people immediately, well, the the concern I had is most people immediately or only view the draft as being one round, maybe two rounds. And so when I ask the question, what does this change, everybody says nothing. They should still draft a wide receiver. Well, I know that. I, I mean, come on now, duh. Did you go into this draft thinking we're just just drafting one wide receiver or what? My question is more so, if you're feeling like we need to get too early, do we still need too early or can we do one early and then kind of wait? If your thought was we need at least three, do we need maybe two now? I mean, is there any slight change whatsoever in terms of the urgency, in terms of anything else? Um, Apparently, the answer was no. But the the second component, obviously, and this is kind of where I wasn't clear aside from not being clear if people were just being obtuse or if they really genuinely felt this way, is not really knowing what they felt of Sammy Watkins. Some people told me flat out, no, because Sammy Watkins is hot garbage and he's not going to help anything. Fair enough. That's fair enough. But I guess the the more interesting thought experiment that I was trying to have is if we did add somebody that the Packers felt was decent enough, Let's just say he's another number two like Lazard. I mean, what what kind of a change in philosophy would you have? If nothing else, would it, would it at least be taking a little bit of pressure off so that we don't absolutely have to get a wide receiver in the first round slash first two rounds, which I'm, I'm guessing not because most people would feel very uncomfortable if we didn't get one in the first two rounds. So, I mean, I generally tend to agree that it doesn't. If, if it changes anything, it changes very little. But then the immediate question is, then what are we doing? I mean, say it's not Sammy and it's somebody you prefer even a little bit more. I mean, there there are no elite talents out there, unless you're still on the DK Metcalf thing, which is silly. I'm talking about guys that are still available via free agency. And I I think if you, somebody had put on Twitter something to the effect of, you know, we're going to get a pretty decent compensatory pick for MVS and the Packers are not interested in giving that up. So if you factor in that formula, the guys that are actually available that are not going to cost us in the compensatory pick formula, there's about four guys out there. None of those four guys are elite talents. I'm of the opinion Julio is probably the best of the group, but you know I don't know. So so really the, that 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 does become my question. If let's just say you get Julio, and let's just assume that if, you know if you think he's elite, let's just say he's not. And if you think he's completely washed and useless, let's say he's not. Let's just say he's just a he's just a guy. You know, 748 yards and four touchdowns. I don't know. I just made that up. Why do it? Is it just depth? I mean, I guess from that standpoint, it kind of does make sense. I mean, you do need a minimum number of players to play that position, and we are dangerously close to not having that. I mean, it, it, we're dangerously close to the point of we're going to have to do some work at, at, with undrafted free agents and push them onto the team because we just we don't have a lot of guys. But you certainly don't want to pay a, any serious amount for that. So I don't know. It was just kind of a—it's strange that I hadn't put enough thought into that in terms of, again, just sort of a thought experiment. Everybody says we got to go out and do something, but then everybody immediately turns around and says it doesn't change anything. Which should make us think. Then maybe we shouldn't do it again. I, I I I think there's two components here that led to that many no's, One of them being a, a strong distaste for Sammy Watkins, and the second being people just being very obtuse. You know, just refusing to really think in depth and just saying nothing. I still want wide receiver. Okay, I know we. I, I understand that. I'm I, oh, whatever. So I guess maybe a better question that I could follow up with that would be, who is somebody that we could go get that would change your perception of how we handle the draft? And if nobody, in other words, if there's not a single wide receiver out there that would change your approach to how we should draft, why should we go get them? And um, the only answer I would probably accept to that is we shouldn't, because it just doesn't make any sense to me to say it makes zero difference in how we approach building this team. You know, because at at the end of the day, the, the issue with the draft is and always will be the limited amount of options you have. You have seven, eight, nine, you know, in our case, I think 11 picks. But again, we're probably going to be trading several of those. So call it nine times you get to pick a player and only half of them really have even, say, a 50% chance of being any good. If, I mean, and half is generous. Maybe half of them have like a 30% chance of being good. And so now you're talking about, you know, the Packers maybe have like five-ish picks, four-ish picks that, you know, because you got two firsts and two seconds, which is awesome. And so if I'm going to go get it, the, the point is, if I'm going to go get a wide receiver, I'm doing that so that it gives me more flexibility to be able to get the best players available, whatever position that may be, to help bolster this team, because we have other needs. We have major offensive line needs. We do have wide receiver needs. We potentially could add a running back. We certainly have safety needs. Uh, That's all, folks. An additional linebacker would be fantastic. Tight end. Tight end. Tight end. Tight end. I would love it if we had a really, really good tight end. And Again, I think Packer fans massively underestimate that partially because we undervalue the position more so relative to where the Packers are, and I think we overvalue our own tight ends. And this is coming from a big Deguara fan, but the fact is Deguara hasn't done very much. By the way, if you haven't listened to uh, the interview JJ did with his dad, it was fantastic. We haven't seen anything from Deguara. Uh, Tunyon is massively overrated by Packer fans, and to be honest, I think Mercedes Lewis is too. Granted, a hugely awesome dude, great leader, massively fun to watch. But in comparison to some of the best tight ends and what they actually contribute to their teams, I mean, you, you could take all of our tight ends, s- compress them into one human being, and they wouldn't give you a fraction of what some of the top tight ends are doing for their teams. And I don't know if we've just given up as Packer fans at the prospect of maybe one day getting an elite tight end and how awesome that would be and how much Rodgers has been begging for that for, for the better part of a decade. Teams like the Chiefs and the 49ers and the Ravens and all these teams that have just, I mean, look at the Saints for years with Jimmy Graham. Uh, Rob Gronkowski has been in the back pocket of uh, Tom Brady forever. Drags him around like his puppy everywhere he goes. I need my Rob Gronkowski if we're going to win. I need my Robbie. What I absolutely love, love, especially in this draft class, because a lot of these guys are, they're, they're like unicorns as fast as they run, you know. I remember that when I was looking at comps, I was trying to find guys that I, I thought could compare to some of the faster guys, including Tunyon. And I'm like, it's just really hard to find them. And Then these, and then everybody ran at the combine, and everybody turned out to be an athletic freak. And it's like, well, there's plenty of them in this draft class. That doesn't necessarily mean they're great football players, but, but they have the rare blend of athleticism that a lot of the top tight ends do. So if you're going to hit on, you know, and remember, Travis Kelsey... George Kittle, these were not first round picks. They're not second round picks. I think I think they were a third and fourth round selection. A lot of these guys are second, third, fourth round selections. I have a strong feeling that at least one of these tight ends, whether that be Likely, who I know ran a slow 40, but I don't think anybody believes that that was correct. Um, uh, Trey McBride, who has surprising speed, whatever. I think somebody's going to end up being a stud in this class. I don't know who. But the Packers have the opportunity to potentially get that guy. Um, but the point is, there, there's some real freaks, and I think I think in this draft class in particular, and I've said this many times, there's, I don't think there's a lot of real high end can't miss prospects. High end was the wrong word to use. It there, there's a, a never ending supply of high end, but the the high floor can't miss really checks all the boxes. Types there's not too many of them, but the high ceiling, if they can, you know get better at this, or if they can improve this, or if they can do this last little thing, the amount of those guys that turn out to be stars and everybody, you know, everybody pretends that they knew, like, well, how could you not know? Look at, look at what he did in college. Look at his measurables. Look at, yeah, I understand that. But look at the 57 other guys that had very similar measurables that didn't pan out. That's the thing. It's going to be obvious when you look at it from the future reading backwards. But it's not obvious from where we're sitting now. But it's very clear to me that some of these guys are gonna turn out to be absolute stars. And I want the ability for the Packers to decide who those stars are and not be pigeonholed with, well, I think these guys are probably stars, but we gotta get a wide receiver. We gotta get a wide receiver. Generational talent at safety. But we gotta get a wide receiver. Elite tackle that can play for 15 years at a David Bakhtiari level. But we got to get one soon. One of the best defensive tackle prospects we've seen in a generation. A true every-down defensive tackle that can play next to Kenny Clark and really bolster this defensive front to make this one of the most elite pass rush units in the NFL and finally fix the run defense woes that have been with us since, oh, I don't know, forever. Thanks to now having finally fixed the linebacker position, if we can finally fix the defensive tackle position with Rasan and Preston on the edge, we can really finally have a front that is just elite. But we can't get them. Why? Cause we gotta get a wide receiver. I don't want to have to get a wide receiver. I don't want to have to get anything. I want to get elite prospects wherever you can find them. And that—that's the thing that I think is missing. We get so stuck on the position, 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 posi- position. But there, there are actual guys in this draft that have the potential to be Hall of Famers. I want the Packers to find them. And it really, I mean, it doesn't matter what the position is. It doesn't matter any position. It could be corner. If you're telling me this is the next Richard Sherman, if you could see into the future and see that this is Richard Sherman, I don't give a crap who's already on our roster. This is Darrell Rivas. I don't care. We're drafting him. Now, granted, you can't see into the future, so that's probably not a very likely Option, but the point I'm trying to make is much more important than just drafting wide receiver, wide receiver, which is what everybody does with the mock drafts. Well, what is the need? What is the need? What is the need? Well, I think most teams—I mean, some don't—but most teams look at best player available. Yeah, that's true. But what is the need? What is the need? What is the need? What is the need? What is the biggest need? Because that's what we're going to pick, and we might just pick both wide receivers because that's the biggest need. And then need 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 need. I was listening to a podcast with uh, Dane Bruegler and I forget who the guy was with, but the other guy that was there was doing a mock draft and he was very, you know, I mean, these are, these are professionals. He said it took him 11 hours to do the mock draft and by the end of it, and this is a guy I want to talk a little bit about today, Tyler Linderbaum fell out of the first round. Now, I think that's absolutely absurd. I don't think there's any chance Tyler, I mean, he's consensus big board right now is 23. So he's clearly falling down the boards. I don't think he makes it past, I don't know, 15. But the point is, his rationale was, well, I just couldn't really find a good fit, you know? I mean, this team didn't really need a center, and this team doesn't really run that scheme. He has to be in a zone scheme, and, you know, it just doesn't really super fit... dude. You get to a certain point where a guy is too talented to fall anymore. And I've had that happen with mock drafts many, many times, where you look at and go, it's not the best fit, but this guy will never, ever, 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 ever be allowed to fall any further. And whether we're either taking him here or somebody is coming up and begging, please, 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 for the love of all things, holy, let me come up and get that guy. Because unbelievably, he's still there. You can't just do mock drafts and go, "Mm, well, it's not the most perfect need fit. So we're not going to take that here. And while we're sitting here just staring at need, 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 teams are looking at the next Jason Kelsey saying, I don't care. I don't care. We're drafting him. Same with the Packers. And, and, and again, uh, I want to take a minute. I want to go back in our um, our thing here because I don't think we looked at um, Mr. Jason Kelsey, a.k.a. Tyler Linderbaum. Why did I skip him? Say it with me now. Need. We don't need a center, and he's a center. We don't need a center, so we're not going to draft a center because I'm an idiot too. But it was interesting that this, it, it kept coming back up. I, I finalized my big board, which does need some tweaking, but I finally got it up because, again, I just needed to get something in place so that I can finally start to work on um, refining all the grades. But as it stands right now, Tyler Linderbaum is my number one prospect ahead of Aiden Hutchinson. Number one, 94 overall grade. On top of that, we were having a little chat with uh, Coach Hahn. Um, He's going to be doing, if you haven't seen, he started doing some uh, videos. Really, really awesome quick breakdown videos. I wanted to put them on YouTube, but YouTube only allows me to upload 15-second videos, so that sucks. But we've been putting them over on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Offensive line breakdowns, that is his specialty. He's been doing some offensive line stuff. I should talk to Sam about doing some defense. That'd be pretty cool. Sam, if you're listening, this is me officially asking you. But he's been doing some ninety-second quick breakdowns of offensive prospects, just giving his thought on fit and uh, all that kind of stuff. And he was just kind of looking for some some ideas, and everybody's been throwing him tackle. And I'm like, well, what about you know, off- interior offensive lineman? You know, we've got two of them that um, I know he's talked about that are potential guards um, that potentially the Packers could pick that are guards that I already know he said he likes. And if he could do a video breakdown, that'd be awesome. And then Tyler Linderbaum came up, and he just. He lost his mind. I mean, he he started watching. I mean, you could just tell he's he's basically saying if, if this guy makes it the 22, which he absolutely no chance he does, and I tend to agree with that, there's no way on in God's green earth the Packers pass. Zero chance. Well, we just drafted a center. So what? He's convinced that he can play guard first and foremost. But again, even if not, the, the absolute best comp that there is for Tyler Linderbaum is um, Jason Kelsey. Yeah, but he's undersized. So is Jason Kelsey. So anyways, I'm going to take all that and uh, we're going to continue on with what we've been doing, but we're going to start with Linderbaum because again, I'm stupid and I skipped him because eh, probably going to be gone. And even if he's not, he's a center and we don't need a center. So, you know, we'll just skip him. No, we're not going to skip him because also a, a, this is another one where what am I trying to do? And it's amazing because you can see how hard this this is to do. My goal for this year is to make sure that whoever we pick, I'm not going to be surprised and I'm not going to be upset. And I'm constantly setting myself up to fail with this. Constantly, if the Packers traded up for Tyler Linderbaum, if I hadn't spent five seconds to think about this and talk to Coach Hawn about this and really just thought through the 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 thought this through fully, I would have been shocked and probably a little disappointed. Granted, I know he's a freak, but it's still like, wait, a center? Like I really thought we were going up. We're going to get, you know, Drake London or. Da, 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 da. Why would you get Tyler Lindemann? He's a, And Packers Twitter is going to absolutely light itself on fire. And then, you know, I don't know what else. Probably can't do too much else when you're on fire, but it's not going to be pretty. But as I've always said, you got to understand when the Packers make a pick, especially if you're talking trading up in the first round, they see, you, you, you just got to start to see their vision. And it seems like a very non-Packers thing to do, especially to trade up. Maybe if he falls to them, fine. But either way, if that does happen, what are the Packers telling you with this pick? Drake London was still available, da-da. Okay, then Drake London is much more important position, much more valuable position, and a very talented player, and yet they still took Linderbaum. So what does that tell you about their opinion of what this guy will be? But again, we don't care about that because we don't care about Brian Gutekunst's opinion as much as we care about some rando blogger over at the Draft Network, no offense to them, but they ain't Brian Gutekunst. But again, very unlikely he even makes it this far. If you have mock drafts with him falling to or past the Packers, refine them because there's almost no chance. And if you are like, what's his name that had him falling out of the first round because he has short arms and because you can't find a a team that needs a center, um, Good Lord. Tyler Linderbaum, who has an older brother, was born and raised in Salon, Iowa, 15 miles north of the Iowa campus. He grew up playing multiple sports and played quarterback in junior high. He attended Salon High, where he was a three-year letterman on the varsity football team, played both offense and defensive lines, uh, earned first-team All-District as a sophomore with 27.5 tackles, six tackles for a loss, four sacks as a junior. Linderbaum was named District MVP with 44 tackles, seven tackles for a loss, three sacks, and earned first-team All-State honors as a center. He was named the U.S. Army All-American as a senior captain and, again, earned first-team All-State as a center. On defense, Linderbaum finished with 37 tackles, three tackles for a loss, two sacks in 2017 to earn district defensive MVP honors. Just rinse and repeat, man. He earned four letters in basketball. I'm sorry, I can't read baseball. I was going to say that would be surprising. (laughs) And had a a .346 batting average as a junior. Linderbaum earned three letters in wrestling. Again, I love offensive and defensive linemen that wrestle. I just, I really do. And posted a 53 and 10 record with 41 pins as a junior, finishing fifth in the state tournament and two uh, in the 285 pound weight division. He had several bouts with Tristan Werfs. That's interesting. And defeated his future Iowa teammate in the 2017 Class 2A regionals. That's funny. Werfs, by the way, extremely talented football player. Linderbaum earned three letters in track and placed second in the shot put and third in discus at the 28. I I never realized how. Many people did this. I don't even know if we had shot put in discus in my high school, but yet apparently every athlete does this. If you want to be in the NFL, you better be throwing a discus around. Uh, at the 2018 Class 3A state meet, he also lettered in basketball and golf as a freshman. Okay, then. I guess he did play basketball. Why not? Nothing like a big white defensive tackle, also just crushing it in basketball. I guess it's Iowa, so that that checks out. <laughs> That's racist. A three-star recruit out of high school, Linderbaum was the number 28 defensive tackle in the 2018 recruiting class and the number two recruit out of the state of Iowa. He received his first offer from Iowa State after his junior season, followed by offers uh, Iowa and Minnesota. However, Linderbaum grew up a diehard Hawkeyes fan and committed to Iowa as a defensive tackle. After playing in two games on the defensive line in 2018, he redshirted and head coach Kirk Ferentz requested he move to offensive line prior to the 2019 season. His father, Todd, played college athletics in Upper Iowa University. Todd's older brother, Logan, wrestled for four years at Minnesota State. Linderbaum graduated with his degree in enterprise leadership. That's not a bad situation for an offensive center, to be completely honest. The guy, he got a degree in how to be a great offensive center. That is hilarious. He elected to skip his senior season and enter the 2022 NFL Draft. Linderbaum planned to accept his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl, but was unable to participate due to a foot injury. 2018, two games played, zero started, redshirted, moved to defensive line, uh, from defensive line to offensive center after the 2018 season. 2019, played and started all 13 games, honorable mention, all Big Ten. 2018, played and started uh, eight games. We keep seeing that, by the way, with 2020, and it seems like he's injured a lot. If there's limited games in 2020, it was a COVID thing. Um, first team, All American, sec- second team, All Big Ten. 2021, 14 games played, 14 started. First team All-American, first team All-Big Ten, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, Remington Award, Nation's Top Center, which is, that's what that award is, and team captain. Um, The overall says Linderbaum is a center-only prospect. Again, Coach Hahn very strongly disagrees with that. And will struggle at times in pass protection due to his lack of strength, but he is an elite-level run blocker due to his athleticism and grip strength to latch and drive. He projects as a longtime NFL starter in a zone-based scheme. So this is, and again, this is Dane Brugler, and that is the podcast i was listening to that had him fall out of the first round so i wouldn't be super surprised if the person that did the mock was heavily referencing dane Brugler's draft guide because this is word for word why he said he fell out of the first round because you need to find a team that is zone based and you need to find a team that needs a center and if you can't find that he falls and again i just think he's he's too talented to uh I, I i don't even want to the idea of him falling out of the first is just absurd to me to be honest. Again, I'm not pretending that my, my draft guide, which I've, I've been saying forever, needs refinement. I'm not saying that that is the, the be-all, end-all. But at the end of the day, you cannot get a 94 overall grade without just absolutely dominating every single possible metric that is available. Every metric. And my goal is to just saturate as many metrics that, that correlate to being a good player as possible to ensure that you just don't have 94 overall players. Because nobody's good at everything. Honestly, I, I don't want to have a draft guy that is a bunch of like 99s and 98s. That's stupid. That doesn't provide any contact. And what, what you want is when you finally find a guy that's a 94, 95, 96, it's like this is unbe freaking leavable. We have one in this draft class, and it's Tyler Linderbaum. And again, I got Coach Hahn, who is an offensive line guy, who's backing me up on this saying this guy is just, I mean, he, first of all, he will never make it to 22, but he is just an unbelievable prospect. So I'm very excited. I think he's going to be coming out with a video on that, hopefully today or sometime soon. Um, Again, I don't think he'll be a Packer. I mean, that's literally why I skipped even talking about him. But I think it'll be a fun video to watch, and I think it'll help us to kind of salivate. And and at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with adding another player to the I would kill for this guy list. Because ultimately, if you pick at 22 and 28, ideally, you have 28 guys that you just would absolutely kill for. I'm sitting at about five right now. (laughs) So... And again, it's because I just don't have that that upper level, like, I, you know, even Devontae Wyatt, who I've been gushing over, there are, you know, kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this. And, you know, the age does bother me a little bit. As much as I say it's, you know, people people do make too much of it, but it is an issue and it does get under my skin and it does bother me a little bit. By the way, I wanted to introduce something else to think about in that context, but why don't we do it after the break and then we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about one more thing and then we'll do a couple more prospects on the uh, get to know them segment or whatever you want to call it. But I got several thank yous to hand out. Um, I don't know where this rush of generosity came from. I haven't asked for money in a long time. Uh, like I said, I'm going to take a break from asking for money and try to divert that over to the GoFundmes. That certainly has had an, had an effect. I haven't had hardly any Patreon supporters. In fact, I've been going negative for quite a long time, people leaving more so than they're joining, which is fine. Again, I I, I knew that this would happen, especially in the off season, and I'm okay with it. But uh, suddenly there's been a, uh, maybe it's just the the, the sunshine, the weather's start, starting to get a little bit better, people are just feeling, feeling good. But a big shout out and thank you to um, Andrew and his wife for um, the $50 donation, that is extremely generous of you. I think I said thank you to Brian, this is from a long time ago, but thank you uh, Brian who jumped in on Patreon uh, on the 2nd. I'll say thank you to Chris, but I'm thinking he may have just deleted it, um... <laughs> I got an email saying we got a new uh, patron, um, Manny slash Chris, but I can't find it anywhere. So thanks for, thanks if you did, and I just can't find it. But, uh, either way, thank you. Thank you very, very much to, uh, Jim Thompson. Jim has, uh, is a regular Patreon supporter, but, uh, once a year does a large donation. I believe last year he donated $150, which was obviously extremely, um, Generous. This year, he has donated $250. So, you know, the the amount of just absolute above and beyond support for this podcast and for the efforts, um, I can't thank you guys enough for for everything you've done. But uh, also, thank you to um, Andy for throwing down $50 on both of these. Andy, who gave 50 to me, also gave 50 to both of the GoFundMe. So he helped to donate uh, to Drew's GoFundMe with his seizure service dog, donating $50. We are now nearly to $4,100. We're at $4,092. So we're slowly getting to our goal there. And we are over uh, $9,100. We have $9,140 on our way to $10,000 goal. Um, Again, I'm very excited about this one being very, very, very close to being done. $860 away. Um, Just hoping to get that final little push through here. Also, please remember to head over to amodernfrontier.com. Great place to get all your meats beef, chicken, pork. You get it in uh, large quantities, but not so large that you can't fit it in the freezer and can't afford it. Remember to use promo code MEATPACKER. That's one word, all caps. You get $25 off your order. And I'm pretty sure that only works on meat. He's adding a ton of stuff here. He's got log dogs. Uh, He just added worm castings, which I don't even know what that is, but has something to do with worms, potentially a a composting thing. I don't know, but um, they're only like 34 bucks. I would not expect to get $25 off of that order. I don't I would assume so. Um, Anyways, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for 5 That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I wanted to add something to the age discussion because one of the things that was brought up is the reason you don't want a 24 year old is because if you get them in the first round and they have a uh, first year option or a fifth year option, excuse me, you're talking about a 29 year old that you're looking to give that first big contract to, and that kind of sucks. Here's not really my issue with that because I get it, but I think it's kind of a narrow view of things because it depends on the position, doesn't it? I mean, if you're talking about a 29-year-old quarterback, it's not that big of a deal because you assume he's got at least 10 more years in him. right? I mean, quarterbacks can play for a long time. I mean, offensive line... Um, quarterback, obviously punter-kicker, which you're not going to take in the first round anyways, but age generally doesn't matter all that much. On the flip side, though, running back, if you assume, as I've said for many years, that 27 years old is kind of peak for a running back, if you take a 22-year-old in the first round, you you get their fifth-year option when they're ready to, um, to fall off. In fact, even if it's not in the first round, a 22-year-old running back is 26 years old when they're looking to get that first contract. They're basically at about their peak. And so if you offer them a four-year contract, that's just bad business. I mean, assuming they're really good and they want like a really big contract. If they're, you know, mediocre and you're paying them a mediocre contract, then fine, whatever, we can deal with it. But the point is you can't really justify ever taking at any age a running back in the first round. But if you're talking about a position where age isn't as much of a factor... And I, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly the lifespan of things. And, you know, even you could look at, um, you know, offensive line. I'm sure it's different based on position. Uh, you got past injury history and things of that nature that ultimately you're, what, what you want is what is the expected longevity of this player? If you think they can play until they're 32 compared to you think they can play until they're 29, that does make a difference. Because the the question is, how much can I get out of this guy? But if, if that's the only thing that matters, and again, we're just talking about age, then we shouldn't be drafting running backs, period, or any other position that just doesn't really stick around very long. You know, we we can draft a safety, but I don't know about defensive tackle. You know, they, they kind of get banged up pretty good. And at that size, you know, I mean, I don't know how offensive tackles do it at their size. You got some of these guys that are 37 years old still hanging. Maybe it's because it's just the, you know, the limited mobility. So it doesn't really, I don't know. I don't know. Um you know wide receiver not a lot of really talented 33 year old wide receivers out there they kind of hit that 30 year old mark and it's like yeah start dipping a little bit i mean we'll see what devonte does but it's hard to find guys you know julio jones he got to 30 and it started to fall off pretty quick and there's there's always going to be outliers there's always going to be guys that you know you got the uh, the heck is that running back's name whatever, I can't, you, you know who I'm talking about, the longtime 49er, I think he went to Buffalo, played until he was, you know, in his 30s and playing well. I mean, it, it potentially even getting better because his, his, his ability to play the game mentally really took a step. Why can I not think of his name? I can't get like Greg and Fred out of my head. Whatever, you know who I'm talking about. But, you know, I mean, if, if we want to have that discussion, that's fine, but let's really have the discussion because at its core, what are we saying? You don't want to draft a 24-year-old because you care about longevity. Okay, then let's talk about longevity, not just age as a static thing. We got to factor in injuries. We got to factor in current age. We got to factor in expected age before they they fall off, right? Because if you if you want to know how many years they're going to be here, I got to know where the end is. If they can play until they're 50, who cares if they're 25, 27, 29? If they're going to play until they're 28, then I shouldn't be taking anyone older than like 21. You know, I mean, depending on, again, what, 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 what do we want? What do we expect out of these guys? And even then, again, we should just be taking quarterbacks because that's the most important, I mean, it's the most important position and you're not going to beat it as far as longevity goes, except for the fact that that's silly because that's not the only factor. And we do take running backs knowing that they have a shorter shelf life and we really don't have a problem with it. So, again, I'm fine with the discussion, but let's, let's have a more intelligent discussion surrounding it. What exactly at its core are we asking and, and what do we do with that information? If Devontae Wyatt is 24, how long do we think he's going to play? Defensive tackle. I mean, what, what, what 32, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, seven years. That doesn't work. It needs to be what, eight or nine? How many years do you want? What is the minimum amount of years that you expect from, from, a, from a first round draft prospect? I don't know. That's, that's what I'm saying though. But, but, but again, let's be, let's really think it through if we really want to take a hard stance on something. What is the expectation? What do we want? What do you want that you can't get from him because he's twenty four? I'm not again, I'm not opposed to it. I just I just want more information. Let's let's dig a little deeper into the discussion. Um, one final thing I wanted to talk about. It was actually kind of cool for a couple of reasons. I mean, we we kinda had something similar to this last year, but it was it was just cool because it's a very similar story to mine. If you've been listening a while, you've heard my story about how I became a Green Bay Packers fan. I was born and raised in Illinois. But I became a Packer fan because my dad's family is from Wisconsin. He is from Wisconsin. He moved down to Illinois to get a job here. But he always raised me. I, as I phrase it, he raised me right. He raised me to be a Packer fan, so that's how I became a Packer fan. I just, I've always been, you know, since I was little. I grew up in Illinois, but we watched the Packers in my house and didn't like the Bears, et cetera, et etc. Cetera. Well, JJ sent me this clip that's been making the rounds. And on the off chance you haven't seen it, I wanted to play it for you. This is wide receiver Alec Pierce. Um, this is the guy that I mentioned who has drawn comparisons to Jordy Nelson. He's a taller receiver. He has surprising speed down the sideline. Um, potential second-round pick, which fits that narrative. Obviously, tall, lanky, white dude. But again, if you just go watch him play, I mean, he just reminds you of Jordy the way that he plays. But here he is doing an interview with uh, Chris Sims. So are you all Chicago sports? I mean, who are we rooting for in baseball? And uh, are you a Bears fan, too? I was a Cubs fan, and then I was actually grew up a Packers fan. What? My what? Dad, what the yeah. hell is wrong with you? <laughs> my uh, my dad's family they're from Wisconsin, so they they kind of raised me on football, and they got me up to Lambo early. Okay, and i was just kind of always a Packers fan since. All right, so it's funny because Chris Sims, who obviously sits across from um, the psycho rabid Vikings anti-Packers fan, is clearly anti-Packers as well. I mean, you know, maybe he's just making that comment because the guys from Chicago, how dare you be a Packers fan, but they're very, they're, they very clearly seems to be an anti-Packers bias. <laughs> I think in the media in general, because they've spent so much time attacking the Packers. And so Packers fans have been just vicious in response to media members. So I, I think in general, there, there's becoming sort of this Packer fans versus the media dynamic that's taking place but especially with uh chris sims and and what's his nuts over there i mean what's his face but i just thought that was kind of cool and especially again when you when you start drawing jordy nelson comps i mean this is this is a kid who grew up again i mean it's just it's it's something i can identify with he grew up in glen ellen illinois um which is extremely close to where i grew up um i mean it's just i mean it's directly south um i grew up in a couple different neighborhoods in the area but the closest would be roselle i mean it is directly south. 16 minutes. Um, so, I mean, we were very close to each other growing up. and so. But, but, but again, the idea that he grew up in Illinois, Packer fan, you know, taking a lot of the same guff I was, you know, you go to school with your Packers backpack and your Packers coat, taking guff from your teachers and, your, and all this stuff. But also, you, you got to assume he grew up a Jordy Nelson fan. So for him to be able to um, get to this level as a Packer fan and draw comps to Jordy Nelson... That's got to feel cool. But the other really cool thing, obviously, is, you know, it's, it's cool to have a prospect that loves the Packers and wants to be a Packer. And last year, that guy was Amari Rogers. He ended up being a Packer. And so um, it would be, I mean, it, if you haven't, like I said before, if you, if you are not an Alec Pierce fan, it's probably because you haven't watched Alec Pierce. And I don't mean that from a condescending go-watch-the-tape standpoint, but just from you're going to feel a sense of nostalgia because it feels like you're watching Jordy Nelson. Like I said, there, there's a highlight. I think it's if you look at his highlights, click on the first video, I think it's like the second pass, he catches a, a touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone, and just the way he catches it, I'm like, that's Jordy. Like I've seen that exact pass and reception before by Jordy Nelson. It's, it's just so vivid in my memory. We just got to teach him to do the over-the-shoulder flip as he struts off, and it's, it's game over. So definitely all in on Alec Pierce, man. I'm a big fan of his um, for every reason now. I mean on top of just being a good football player and liking what I saw when I watched him um the fact that he reminds me of Jordy the fact that I think he could be a great fit for what we need a true X receiver but also has a good amount of speed and has that Jordy you know the he, I mean he's he's got everything I mean it's as much for every reason we like Drake London he's like that you can call him a discount Drake London but I think he's faster than Drake London too so there's that but then, you know, it's just, like I said, there, there's a, and I forget who it was, there's a prospect that went to my high school, which is shocking, uh, Lake Park in Roselle. Then you got Alec Pierce, who grew up in Glen Ellen, just 15 minutes south of where I lived, who grew up a Packers fan. So it's, that's pretty cool. So it's, it's, it's cool because you can kind of identify them with a little bit. And it just helps me to realize, you know, because I don't know, I, I whenever I see these prospects, they just seem like otherworldly to me. Like they just had such massively different lives. And it's like, no, they didn't, man. They, they, they grew up in just random towns doing stuff. I mean, he just happened to be, you know, obviously had a different high school life than I did being a star football player and all that stuff. But I had a different experience. But still, man, I mean, it's just, it's just people, you know, growing up in in towns, going to random high schools and had the same dork friends, doing the same dumb stuff, just kind of provides a cool, cool picture, I guess, for me. Anyways, let's continue on with uh, some of these here prospects. We did make it through the top 32. Um, We did skip a few, but obviously we got most of them. Um, Next up, though, number 33 on the consensus big board. I'm trying not to hit refresh, and I hope it doesn't do it normally because then my list is all mixed up and I'm going to miss somebody. But Boye Mafe is listed as the number 33 overall prospect. He's been climbing quite a bit. He was sort of a mid-to-late second-round guy, Um, and he is probably because he keeps getting mocked to the Packers at 28 is just driving him straight up. But a uh, very very popular pick uh, especially amongst packer fans i mean they they've really endeared themselves to him but um, boye mafe boye is a nickname by the way his full name is Boye or ade boye i don't know youngest of six children born and raised in golden valley which is a western suburb of minneapolis um he was started he was started playing football it's a great draft guy but you got to get an editor man this is probably the second time i've been like what is this sentence hey november 30th 1998 same birthday I mean, not, not 1998. I'm a little older than that, but leave me alone. He was started playing football at a youth level and spent time at every position on the field. At age 13, Mafei spent his eighth grade year at a boarding school in Nigeria for a cultural education in his parents' native country. All of his siblings, siblings did the same. That's kind of cool. You do a, uh, what do you call that? I can't remember what that's called. But you do like you're, you know, when you're coming of age, like you trek back home, whatever. I don't know. <sighs> I wish I knew things. He returned to the U.S. about five inches taller and enrolled at Hopkins High, where he was a three sport athlete. As a junior, Maffe recorded 40 tackles, three tackles for a loss, one sack as a defensive end, 2016 second team All State honors as a senior of 78 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, four sacks. Maffe also lettered in basketball and track and set personal best again, persona best. There's an L there. Come on, dude. Personal bests of 11 4 8 in the 100 meters, 23 32 in the 200 meters. Uh, pff, Whatever, shot put, high jump, triple jump. I don't even know how to read the numbers properly, so I'm not even going to try. 49 feet, six and a half inches in the shot put. Is that what we're dealing with? Whatever. A three-star recruit out of high school, Mafe was the number 78 weak side defender, uh, defensive end in the 2017 recruiting class, number six recruit out of the state of Minnesota. He received three FCS offers, North Dakota, Northern Iowa, South Dakota State, and three FBS offers, uh, Minnesota, Rutgers, and Myo- Wyoming. Mafe continued to his hometown, Gophers, committed between his errors and mike not being able to read this is brutal to listen to and i apologize mafe committed to his hometown gophers over rutgers and became part of pj flex inaugural recruiting class at minnesota his mother bola passed away from pancreatic cancer on mother's day may 2018 that's horrible his father uh, wale and bola were born and raised in yorubaland yorubaland in southwest Nigeria, and moved to the United States in the 1970s. His older brother, Dami, was a running back in, uh, at Division II Minnesota State, Mancota. His older sister, Tayo, was a standout rugby player and competed for the U19 women's national team. His cousin, Ayo Idowu, was a defensive end at Division Three St. Thomas and had a tryout with the Seattle Seahawks. His cousin, uh, Dayo Idowu was a linebacker at FCS North Dakota. Mafe graduated with a degree in marketing education and is working towards his MBA in fitness and fitness administration. He accepted his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl. You know, I got to be honest, I, I am really impressed with, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I guess in my mind, I, I envisioned a lot of people that are mostly just genetic freaks. But I think at the end of the day, when you find football players, what you find is you do find some of those guys that you know maybe didn't have the greatest childhoods and didn't do all the right things, but just have genetic gifts. But I think what you find usually is a blend of people that have the genetic gifts and people that had those gifts nurtured as children by their parents. Again, these are parents who you know stress academics on top of have them in three, four different sports. Maybe it's the kids that want to do it, but I, I really think it's the parents again just nurturing all of these these skills and and really just pushing. And you you also have things like you're going to go back for a cultural uh, enriching journey back to our native homeland for like a year. You know, you've got, uh, who was the other guy that uh, went from Scotland? He's from Africa, moved to Scotland and then went without his family, got sent to the United States for, you know, to a private school. I think it was a Jabo that had that. But um, yeah, a lot of really impressive people who are just, they're just from a different cloth, not just... Their DNA, which is a big part of it, again, is all his brothers and cousins and everything else are, are this way, but the, the the discipline instilled by their parents, the hard work ethic that's instilled by their parents, that, that seems to be a very big part of this, and more so than I, I guess I was expecting. I don't know why I wasn't expecting this many, but I mean, every single person played four, five, six sports. I mean, academics is kind of not as big of a, a thing that I'm noticing, but it is still, for a lot of these guys, I mean, they take that very seriously as well you know, getting their MBAs and et cetera, et cetera. So um, kind of skipping around a little bit, 2020, uh, he didn't start in, so he redshirted 2017, didn't start at all in 2018 or 19, although he played a bunch. 2020, six games started four, honorable mention, all Big Ten, led team in tackles for a loss, sacks, and, and forced fumbles. 2021, 13 games only started nine, third team, all Big Ten, led the team in tackles for a loss and sacks. So he doesn't really have... Um, incredible stats uh to go off of in terms of college so he must just have fantastic tape but um 6 foot 3 261 he was 257 at his pro day so i don't know if he was bulking up for the combine and kind of lost a little bit of that i'm not really sure by the way 23.4 years old i don't know if that's i don't know how people feel about that Overall, Mafe isn't yet the sum of his parts and requires further schooling as a run defender, but he can get after the passer with natural explosion in his lower body, hips, and hands. He projects as a sub-package NFL rusher with starting potential as he continues to be coached up. Second round, number forty-eight overall. Next up, we've got Lewis seen out of Georgia, twenty-two years old, six foot two, about two hundred pounds. He was one ninety-nine at his combine, two hundred two at the pro day, four three seven forty. So another guy with just absolute, bl- just blinding speed. Uh, Louis Seen was born in Haiti and grew up playing soccer. The other thing that's kind of cool is how many people were born outside of the country. I mean, it's it's a large number, which I guess kind of goes hand in hand with sort of the discipline thing. I feel like in America, we're very we're very into just like letting the kids do whatever they want, which, of course, no kid wants discipline, so I guess they don't get any. Because they don't feel like it. It's like Big Daddy. Like we didn't grow up watching Big Daddy and just go, oh, so letting kids do what they want is a bad idea. Anyways, Louis Seen was born in Haiti, grew up playing soccer. His mother, Beatrice Seed, who now lives in Chile, has never been to the United States, was 16 years old when she gave birth to him, which is why he wears number 16. Wow, that's interesting. At age four, Seen relocated to the United States for better opportunities, moving in with his family in Florida. After several years of splitting his time between Haiti and Florida, he moved to Everett, uh, Massachusetts, five miles north of Boston, to live with his father in middle school. Sorry, that was confusing. He was introduced to football in the second grade, but he didn't start playing organized football until he arrived to Everett, a small football-focused city. Seen enrolled at Everett High, where he lettered as a freshman defensive back. As a junior, he led Everett to 12-0 record in the uh, 2017 state championship. Seen was named in 2017 Massachusetts Defensive Player of the Year with 65 tackles, two interceptions, one blocked field goal, and one blocked punt. Um, For his final prep season, he transferred to the Dallas area to live with his uncle and enrolled in Trinity Christian, a private school in Cedar Hill. Seen led Trinity Christian to a 14-0 record. And the 2018 state championship, finishing his senior year with 85 tackles, 13 tackles for a loss, two interceptions, and a fumble recovery touchdown. Scene learned from Deion Sanders, who is an assistant coach at Trinity Christian. That's a heck of a nugget. Scene also lettered in track at Everett with personal bests of 6'9'4 in the 55 meters, 11'7 in the 100 meters, and 16'35 in the 110 meter hurdles. And again, I don't know if you guys are enjoying this, but I'm loving this so much. I mean, just these little insights are making me really like these guys. Just seeing what they've been through, seeing what they've gone through, the, the journey they've been on, how hard they've worked. I mean, for this guy, I mean, look at the hoops he's jumping through to better himself, moving in with different family members to different cities at different times to nurture certain parts of their, their being and who they are. And then to, to work with, with Dion Sanders to, to hone his craft. I mean, not that that was the intention, but just incredible a four-star recruit out of high school scene was the number 3 safety in the 2019 recruiting class behind Daxton Hill and Jordan Battle. Jordan Battle, by the way. Jordan freaking Battle, by the way, dude. I I just put together my 20 uh 23 big board, which again, I did all the work, so really all I have to do is plug and play names, and so I took the entire list of 2023 prospects. I have an, a fully built out 2023 big board, by the way. It's it's done because it was literally just copy and paste the names. Does need some refinement and whatever, but um Jordan Battle is I think he's the highest graded uh, guy I have on that entire big board. He is something else, man. But anyways, and the number seven recruit in the state of Texas. He finished with 36 scholarship offers and was recruited hard by several of the top programs in the country. Seen whittled his list to Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Penn State, and Texas, committing to Mel Tucker, then the Bulldogs defensive coordinator, in October 2018. His daughter, Bella, is five and lives with his grandmother. Seen elected to skip his final season of eligibility and enter the 2022 NFL draft. It's an interesting note. Not a lot of 22-year-olds with a five-year-old kid. Usually that's a, that's a positive, right? Because it kids mature you, right? I mean, leaving aside what other complications there may be, when you have a child, usually it uh, helps to heal some of the immaturities that surround being 22 years old. And you have somebody else that you're working for that you're... That your, you know, your missions change. You know, it's less about I'm going to get the Bentley and and all the other stuff and more about I'm going to provide for my kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, Played three years, 2019, didn't do a ton, 2020, played 10, started 10, 2021, played 15, started 15, third team, All-American, second team, All-SEC, defensive MVP of CFP title game, led the team in tackles and pass deflections. Overall summary, seen lacks ideal size by NFL stand. Does he? 6'2", two, 200 pounds? No, he doesn't. What are you talking about? How is that? Since when? 6'1", 200 pounds is every every safety in the history of the universe. This guy's 6'2", 190. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, seen lacks ideal size by NFL standards and has marginal ball skills, but he is an error versus... Oh, my goodness. He is an enforcer versus the run with athleticism and coverage to make plays. He's an ascending talent with NFL starting skills, similar to Xavier McKinney as a prospect. First and second round grade, number 33 overall, which is exactly, uh, almost exactly where he lands on the consensus board. Um, I think we got time for maybe one more. I'm going to skip Matt Corral and Brees Hall. Of course, it's entirely possible they take a running back, but I'm going to say probably not. I'm going to skip Desmond Ritter for the same reason. Quarterback. I'm also going to skip McCreary, the cornerback. And we'll do Bernard Raymond, which should be a pretty interesting story as well, the offensive tackle. Again, a lot of people don't really like him. Because of his age, because of Central Michigan, but you're looking at an offensive tackle that's extremely talented, by the way, on my board, which probably doesn't factor in where you went to school quite enough, but very, very high on my board. He might be like, I don't know, he's one of the top tackles for sure. He actually, I think Bernard Raymond kind of has a similar situation with Christian Watson where... Everybody acknowledges the guy's a freak, but it's like, yeah, but he went to Central Michigan. So we're kind of just writing that off. And then you factor in the 24.6 years old, and everybody mostly has just written the guy off. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, what actually is the guy? Um, Six foot six, 303 pounds. He was 307 at his pro day, ran a 505.40, a bunch of other stuff. Background. So I said, what did I say? Yeah, 24 years old already. Uh, Bernard Raymond was born and raised in Vienna, Austria, and grew up playing soccer and winter sports. He was introduced to American football at the age of 14 and joined a youth club, uh, the Vienna Vikings, which makes a lot of sense. He joined as a wide receiver, which is where he fell in love with the sport. Raymond had always planned to do a foreign exchange year in high school, uh, and football led him to the United States. At age 17, he was placed with the Ferris family in Delton, Michigan, and spent his junior year at Dalton Kellogg High, a small Division 7 program. Raymond was underutilized as a wide receiver in a wing T offense. That's hilarious. They're running the wing T out there. <laughs> it's pretty hardcore, man. But he was productive as a blocker and helped the team to its first playoff uh, appearance since 2001. He also lettered in wrestling and track in high school. A two star tight end recruit out of high school, Raymond was the 122nd ranked tight end in the country and the number 58 recruit out of the state of Michigan. He only played one season of high school football in the United States before returning to Austria for his senior year, but Raymond was noticed at local recruiting camps by playing 7-on-7 with Michigan Elite in the Detroit area. He received offers from Eastern Michigan and Central Michigan and committed to CMU as a tight end. Um, His host father, Roley Ferris, played offensive line at Central Michigan and Roly's son, Titan Ferris, just completed his redshirt season as the starting guard for the Chippewas. Upon his high school graduation, Raymond had, a f- uh, had to fulfill his six-month military service obligation in Austria and officially gray-shirted during his 2017 season. He enrolled at Central Michigan in January 2018 and spent two seasons at tight end during spring ball in March 2020. The coaches asked the 245-pound Raymond to practice with the offensive line, and he loved it. However, after only two full practices at his new position, the pandemic shut down the program, and he was forced to make the transition largely on his own time. This guy's, I mean, no, we'll we'll finish and then talk about it, but When the 2020 season was reinstated, Raymond was 290 pounds and was the Chippewa's new starting left tackle. He graduated with a double major in actuarial science and statistics uh, and a 3.8 GPA, which isn't the highest in the world, I guess, but that's pretty high, and that is a really tough, really tough thing. Raymond opted out of Central Michigan's bowl game and accepted his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl. So, um... There's a lot to be impressed with here. I mean, the fact that he went to Central Mission, you got to understand, it's, it's not even necessarily because he's a terrible football player. This is a guy who, again, he never really played football. He didn't get to the United States until he was 17 years old. And even then, it's like, well, you get to play a little bit, but you're going to be a wide receiver. Well, OK, but it's not really great for him. And, and, and it was in an offense that really didn't pass the ball very much. And then they moved him to tight end, where he was utilized a little bit more. And then finally, they wanted to switch him to offensive line, which he liked. But the pandemic, and we're talking pandemic 2020. At 2020 is when the first time anyone's like, you should play offensive line. But they didn't get a chance to teach him how to be an offensive lineman or anything. So he had to learn it by himself and pack on weight on his own. But he's so passionate about this sport. He loves the game so freaking much that he did it all on his own and spent basically one year I mean he did do 2020 but there're only 6 games so he spent a total of 18 games in his entire life playing offensive line. 18 times basically in his life playing snaps as a tackle. And they're talking about him as a potential second round pick. I mean you you got to understand the 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 issues but also the positives here, right? It's hard to find people with this much passion for the game. Um I mean the negatives are 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 obvious just the fact that there's nothing to go off of. I mean you're looking at Literally just 18 snaps of Central Michigan tape. That's all you have to go on. Um, Aside from just a guy that's built for this sport, he was meant for this sport, and he loves it with an absolute undying passion. Anyways, his overall says, Raymond is still developing his strength and technique, but he is a fluid, balanced athlete with the reactionary skills and awareness to match up against NFL speed. He is older than ideal for a rookie, but he should compete for starting reps in year one. And again, if you're talking about tackle, you're talking about generally some more longevity. I mean, again, if you if you draft a 21-year-old running back and a 24-year-old offensive tackle, I would still be willing to bet there's a good chance the tackle's around longer than the running back. I don't know that. I mean, some of the tackles are done at 32-ish years old. I don't know. but And some running backs could go longer than expected. But I, I don't know for sure, especially if you're talking about high-level play. Again, I, I can point you to several offensive tackles that play at a high level. You know, David Bakhtiari's 30. I don't think too many people are expecting him to just completely fall off a cliff. And there are plenty of of tackles that, you know, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, they're still playing, they're still killing it. There was a guy not too long ago, 39 years old, still out there, just still playing, still contributing. Jason Peters, I think, played at 39 years old. Not not at his peak, but how many running backs are going to make it that? Zero. Wide receivers, zero. So again, I, I think there's a more intelligent discussion to be had, which is total longevity expectations. Can you get 10 years out of them? Can you get 10 years out of a 21-year-old running back? Probably not. Can you get 10 years out of an a, of offensive tackle that's 24? Meh. Maybe. Maybe you could throw that in the same camp, but I, I would say it's probably similar. But I would say the odds are slightly better because although it's maybe unlikely that he's 34 and still playing, I think you have probably a larger sample size of 34-year-old offensive tackles than you do 31-year-old running backs. Um, I mean, as an example, James Starks. The Packers drafted James Starks in 2010. He was 24 years old. He played until he was 30. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years out of him. First of all, is that unacceptable? Is that just wildly out of out of the like? That's just not good enough. We should have never drafted the guy. I understand it's the sixth round, but I'm 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 just trying to think through this. Like you know, actually rationally think through it. If we say 30 is the hard cutoff. Um, C.J. Spiller would be another example. I mean, this is a guy that was taken a little bit earlier. He was drafted actually in the first round by Buffalo. He's 23 years old. He played until 30, and he he was done with Buffalo by 27. Again, 27 is kind of that peak, so he played his one, two, three, four, five years there, and then they're like, nope, we're not paying you, and he moved on. He went to New Orleans. He played one year. Uh, Then he went to the Jets. Then he went to Seattle. Then he went to Kansas City in 2017. Haven't seen him since age 30. So is that unacceptable? Would you waste a first round pick on a guy that's going to give you five years and then you're going to move on? Probably. Now contrast that maybe with a guy like Darren College, who the Packers drafted in the second round at 24 years old. Now the Packers only kept him for one, two, three, four, five years and then moved on, but he played until he was 32. So his total years was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. Is that unacceptable? Is nine years of a football player's career not good enough? So again, just, just give me something that makes a little bit more sense than 24 is too old. Too old for what? Too old to play football? I mean, if, if, if we're saying there's a hard cutoff at 30 when an when offensive tackle starts to decline, which I don't think is even true, then you're saying you get, what, six years? 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 would be six years. And then his seventh year at age 30, he doesn't really produce all that much. But I mean, even, even if we said, okay, let's just say Bernard Raymond is David Bakhtiari, that's what we think he'll be. Let's just say. For for the sake of argument, seven years of David Bakhtiari, is that a problem for you? Is that not going to work for you? I don't think it's terrible. It's a long time. I mean, that's, that's well beyond how long any of these other guys are going to be here. Aaron Rodgers would be long gone by the time this guy, we start talking about, you know, him being gone. I don't know. I, I again, let's just, um, I'm fine with the discussion, but let's refine it a little bit and into a way that kind of makes some more sense. And, you know, the ultimate example is going to be quarterback. Now, I don't have like old quarterback examples, but for example, a couple of guys that are a little bit older, 23 years old, Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan. Dude, do you know how long these guys, you know how long Matt Ryan's been in the NFL? You could have drafted him at 27 and he would still be fine. (laughs) He's been in the NFL 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years for one team. Whether you draft him at 21 or 24, who freaking cares, right? So, again, let's just, let's just add that to the equation. Overall longevity, not age, overall longevity. If you're 21 and have, have an injury history, and we don't think you're going to make it to 30 because of, you're so banged up, that should, that should be the same exact thing in our minds as a 24-year-old that's healthy, right? Because your, your lifespan is shortened, and ultimately all I care about is your lifespan. How long do I realistically think you can play at a high level? And then beyond that, how long do I think you can play, period? You know, maybe it's not a high level, but you can still contribute. How long? You can give me six years of high level play, maybe another two to three years of of kind of fill in before we let you walk. That's a lot of time, man. That's not a bad career. And again, regardless of age, if I think you've got three, four years of high level play, whether you're 21 and injury riddled or or 24 and just old, that's a problem. But again, it's not the age. Don't get caught up on the age. It's the longevity. That's the question. So think to yourself, how long realistically do I think this guy can contribute as a high-level player, and is that a problem for me? So for Devontae Wyatt, he's 24. I think we can get six good years out of him. Is that okay? If he is an elite prospect, is six years okay, or is that not enough? It's just, I mean, it's up to you. If you say it's not, then it's not. If you think it is, then it is. But don't get so hung up on the age. Anyways, uh, I'm going to get out of here. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.